0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of hallux valgus from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Hallux valgus is not a single deformity, but rather a complex deformity of the first ray. It is often accompanied by deformities and symptoms in the lesser toes. Two forms of hallux valgus exist, adult hallux valgus as well as adolescent and juvenile hallux valgus. As far as the epidemiology of adult hallux valgus, it is more common in women. 70% of patients with hallux valgus have a family history, and there is a genetic predisposition with anatomic anomalies. Intrinsic risk factors include genetic predisposition, increased distal metaphyseal articular angle, or the DMAA, ligamentous laxity causing first tarsal metatarsal joint instability, a convex metatarsal head, second toe deformity slash amputation, pes planus, rheumatoid arthritis, and cerebral palsy. Extrinsic risk factors include shoes with a high heel and a narrow toe box. With respect to the pathoanatomy, valgus deviation of the phalanx promotes varus position of the metatarsal. The metatarsal head displaces medially, leaving the sesamoid complex laterally and translated relative to the metatarsal head. Sesamoids remain within the respective head of the flexor hallucis brevis tendon and are attached to the base of the proximal phalanx via the sesamoidophalangeal ligament. This lateral displacement can lead to transfer metatarsalgia due to shift in weight bearing. The medial MTP joint capsule becomes stretched and attenuated while the lateral capsule becomes contracted. The adductor tendon becomes the deforming force. It inserts on the fibular sesamoid and the lateral aspect of the proximal phalanx. Lateral deviation of the EHL further contributes to the deformity. Plantar and lateral migration of the abductor halysis causes the muscle to plantar flex and pronate the phalanx. The windlass mechanism becomes less effective and leads to transfer metatarsalgia in hallux valgus patients. Associated conditions include a hammer toe deformity and callosities factors that differentiate juvenile-slash-adolescent hallux valgus from adult hallux valgus is that it is often bilateral and familial. Pain is usually not the primary complaint in juvenile-slash-adolescent hallux valgus. Varus of the first metatarsal with a widened intermetatarsal angle is usually present. The DMAA is usually increased, and it is often associated with a flexible flat foot in juvenile-slash-adolescent hallux valgus. As far as complications with juvenile and adolescent hallux valgus, recurrence is the most common complication in greater than 50% of patients, also overcorrection and hallux varus. As far as presentation, symptoms usually present with difficulty with shoe wear due to formation of a medial eminence. There is usually pain over the prominence at the MTP joint. Compression of the digital nerve may also cause symptoms. On physical exam, the hallux rests in valgus and is pronated due to the deforming forces. Make sure you examine the entire first ray for first metatarsophalangeal range of motion, first tarsometatarsal mobility, callus formation, as well as sesamoid pain slash arthritis. Evaluate associated deformities like pes planus, lesser toe deformities, as well as midfoot and hindfoot conditions. As far as imaging, Standard radiograph series should include weight-bearing AP, lateral, and oblique views. The sesamoid view can also be useful. Findings may include lateral displacement of the sesamoids, joint congruency and degenerative changes can be evaluated, and radiographic parameters guide treatment, and we'll talk about those radiographic parameters now. So the hallux valgus angle, or HVA, is measured from the long axis of the first metatarsal and the proximal phalanx, and this identifies MTP deformity. Normal is less than 15 degrees. The intermetatarsal angle, or IMA, is between the long axis of the first and second metatarsal. Normal is less than 9 degrees. The distal metatarsal articular angle, or DMAA, is the angle between the first metatarsal long axis and a line through the base of the distal articular cap. The DMAA identifies MTP, joint incongruity, and normal is less than 10 degrees. The hallux valgus interphalangeus or HVI is the angle between the long axis of the distal phalanx and the proximal phalanx. Normal is less than 10 degrees. Treatment for adult hallux valgus can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management consists of shoe modifications, slash pads slash spacers slash orthoses and these are indicated as the first line of treatment. Orthoses are more helpful in patients with planus or metatarsalgia operative management involves surgical correction, which is indicated when symptoms present despite shoe modification. You should not perform surgery for cosmetic reasons alone. As far as technique, a soft tissue procedure is indicated in very mild disease in a young female, which is almost never. A distal osteotomy is indicated in mild disease with an intermetatarsal angle of less than 13. A proximal or combined osteotomy is indicated in more moderate cases, that is, with an intermetatarsal angle of greater than 13. A first tarsometatarsal arthrodesis is done for arthritis at the TMT joint or for instability. Fusion procedures are indicated in severe deformity slash spasticity slash arthritis. MTP resection arthroplasty is only indicated in elderly patients with low functional demands. Treatment for juvenile and adolescent hallux valgus can be non-operative and operative as well. Non-operative management involves shoe modification, which is indicated until the physis closes. Operative management involves surgical correction. However, it's best to wait until skeletal maturity to operate. You cannot perform proximal metatarsal osteotomies if the physis is open. However, a cuneiform osteotomy is okay. Surgery is indicated in symptomatic patients with an intermetatarsal angle of greater than 10 degrees and a hallux valgus angle of greater than 20 degrees. For severe deformity with a DMAA greater than 20 degrees, consider a double metatarsal osteotomy to correct the orientation of the metatarsal head articular cartilage. As far as general technique, a soft tissue procedure alone is not successful. Generally, surgical correction will be similar to adults if the physis is closed, except in cases of severe deformity. Now, let's go into some surgical techniques in a bit more detail. Soft tissue procedures include the modified McBride, the goal of which is to correct an incongruent MTP joint where the phalanx is not lined up with the articular cartilage of the metatarsal head. Usually, this is done in patients with a hallux valgus angle of less than 25 degrees, an intermetatarsal angle deformity less than 15 degrees, and is usually done in patients 30 to 50 years of age. A modified McBride is rarely appropriate in isolation. It is usually performed in conjunction with a medial eminence resection, metatarsal osteotomy, and or first TMT arthrodesis, otherwise known as the lapidus procedure. The technique for a modified McBride procedure includes release of the adductor from the lateral sesamoid-slash-proximal phalanx, a lateral capsulotomy, and a medial capsular imbrication. The original McBride procedure included a lateral sesamoidectomy. Moving on to metatarsal osteotomies, a distal metatarsal osteotomy is indicated for mild disease, defined as a hallux valgus angle of less than or equal to 40 and an intermetatarsal angle of less than 13. Distal metatarsal osteotomies include chevron osteotomies, biplanar chevron osteotomies, which corrects the DMAA, Mitchell osteotomies, and these may be combined with a proximal phalanx osteotomy, like an Aiken medial closing wedge osteotomy. Proximal metatarsal osteotomies are indicated for moderate disease like a hallux valgus angle of greater than 40 degrees and an intermetatarsal angle of greater than 13 degrees. Proximal metatarsal osteotomies include crescenteric osteotomy, broomstick osteotomy, ludloff, and scarf osteotomies. Now, a double, that is proximal and distal osteotomy, is indicated for severe disease, that is, a hallux valgus angle of 41 to 50 degrees and an intermetatarsal angle of 16 to 20 degrees. A first cuneiform osteotomy is indicated for severe deformity in a young patient with an open physis. Proximal phalanx osteotomies like an Akin osteotomy is indicated for hallux valgus interphalangeus, a congruent joint with DMAA of less than 10 degrees, or as a secondary procedure if a primary procedure like a chevron or distal soft tissue procedure did not provide sufficient correction due to a large DMAA or hallux valgus interphalangeus. Some authors perform Aiken together with slash at the time of a proximal osteotomy plus a distal soft tissue correction because this results in progressive increase in the hallux valgus interphalangeus angle. Fusion procedures include things like the Lapidus procedure or MTP arthrodesis. The Lapidus procedure, otherwise known as the first metatarsal cuneiform arthrodesis with a modified McBride, is indicated for severe deformity defined by a very large intermetatarsal angle, arthritis at the first TMT joint, metatarsus primus varus, a hypermobile first TMT joint, or concomitant pes planus. MTP arthrodesis is indicated for hallux valgus in the setting of cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, gout, severe degenerative joint disease, and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. A resection arthroplasty like a proximal phalanx, aka Keller, resection arthroplasty is largely abandoned at this point, but is rarely indicated in some elderly patients with reduced functional demands. Now, let's go over the surgical indications for these various techniques to treat hallux valgus. For a mild hallux valgus, which is characterized as a hallux valgus angle of less than 25 degrees and an intermetatarsal angle of less than 13 degrees, you will do a distal osteotomy, specifically a chevron osteotomy or a biplanar chevron osteotomy if the DMAA is greater than 10 degrees, usually in conjunction with a modified McBride. For moderate hallux valgus, which is characterized as a hallux valgus angle of 26 to 40 degrees and an intermetatarsal angle of 13 to 15 degrees, you will do a proximal osteotomy plus or minus a distal osteotomy, specifically a chevron slash modified McBride, plus an Aiken osteotomy or a proximal metatarsal osteotomy and a modified McBride. For severe hallux valgus, which is characterized as a hallux valgus angle of 41 to 50 degrees and an intermetatarsal angle of 16 to 20 degrees, you will do a double osteotomy for a DMAA of greater than 15 degrees, specifically a proximal metatarsal osteotomy plus a biplanar chevron and a modified McBride or a lapidus procedure plus an Aiken osteotomy. In an elderly slash very low demand patient with severe hallux valgus, you can do a Keller osteotomy and a juvenile-adolescent with a DMAA of greater than 20, you will do a double osteotomy of the first ray. Now let's quickly go over surgical indications for specific conditions. For a juvenile-adolescent with an open physis, you will do a first cuneiform osteotomy. For a hypermobile first metatarsal, you will do a lapidus procedure. For degenerative joint disease, you will do an MTP arthrodesis. For skin breakdown, you will do a simple bunionectomy with medial eminence removal. For gout, you will do an MTP arthrodesis. For recurrence with pain in the first TMT joint, you will do a lapidus procedure. For rheumatoid arthritis, you will do an MTP arthrodesis. And for Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you will do an MTP arthrodesis. Now, because it's tough to keep all of these foot procedures together in your mind, let's go through them again, but specifically review the techniques, indications, and complications for each. We'll start with the modified McBride, which includes release of the adductor from the lateral sesamoid slash proximal phalanx, a lateral capsulotomy, and medial capsular imbrication. This is indicated for a 30 to 50-year-old female with a hallux valgus angle of 15 to 25 degrees, an intermetatarsal angle of less than 13 degrees, and an interphalangeal angle of less than 15 degrees. The complications are recurrence and hallux varus. The original McBride procedure included a lateral sesamoidectomy and has been abandoned now, so it's really never indicated at this time, and the major complication if it was done is hallux varus. A chevron osteotomy is a distal first metatarsal osteotomy which is intraarticular. You can perform this in two planes, a.k.a. a biplanar distal chevron osteotomy. A chevron osteotomy is reserved for mild to moderate deformities in adults and children. And remember, a biplanar chevron is used to correct and increase DMAA. The major complications are avascular necrosis of the metatarsal head, recurrence, and or dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia. A Mitchell osteotomy is a distal first metatarsal osteotomy, and this is extra-articular unlike a chevron osteotomy, and by definition, it will be more proximal than a chevron. The indications for a Mitchell osteotomy is basically the same for a chevron. It is reserved for mild to moderate deformities, however, it is rarely utilized. The major complications are recurrence, malunion, and transfer metatarsalgia. An Aiken osteotomy is a proximal phalanx medial closing wedge osteotomy that is combined with chevron osteotomies in moderate to severe deformities as well as hallux valgus interphalangeus. scarf slash Ludloff slash mal osteotomies are metatarsal shaft osteotomies that are indicated for an intermetatarsal angle of 14 to 18 degrees with a DMAA that is normal or increased. The major complications include dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia and recurrence. A proximal crescenteric or broomstick osteotomy is a proximal metatarsal osteotomy plus a modified McBride. It is indicated for a severe deformity, so we're talking an intermetatarsal angle of greater than 20 degrees and a hallux valgus angle of greater than 50 degrees. Complications can include hallux varus, dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia, and or recurrence. A Keller resection arthroplasty includes medial eminence removal and resection of the base of the proximal phalanx. However, this has largely been abandoned due to complications. It is really only indicated in older patients with reduced functional demands. Complications include a cock-up toe deformity and poor potential for correction of the deformity. An MTP arthrodesis is indicated in moderate to severe hallux valgus, degenerative joint disease of the first MTP joint, and or painful callosities beneath the lesser metatarsal heads. A lapidus procedure is a first TMT joint arthrodesis with distal soft tissue procedures like medial eminence removal, first webspace release of the adductor halysis, and lateral capsule release. It is indicated for moderate or severe deformity and or hypermobility of the first ray. Complications may include nonunion, which may or may not be symptomatic, and or dorsiflexion of the first metatarsal would transfer metatarsalgia. Finally, a first cuneiform osteotomy is an opening wedge osteotomy that often requires an autograft. It is indicated for children with ligamentous laxity, flat foot, and a hypermobile first ray, as well as adolescents with an open physis. Complications include nonunion, which may or may not be symptomatic. Now, let's finish this review session talking about complications. We'll start with recurrence, and remember that the most common cause of failure is insufficient preoperative assessment and failure to follow indications. For example, failure to recognize a DMAA of greater than 10 degrees, inadequate correction of the intermetatarsal angle, or failure to do adequate distal soft tissue realignment. Recurrence is more common in the juvenile-slash-adolescent population, as well as the non-compliant patient that bears weight. Avascular necrosis is another complication. Medial capsulotomy is the primary insult to blood flow to the metatarsal head. Distal metatarsal osteotomy and lateral soft tissue release in conjunction do not increase the risk for avascular necrosis. A chevron osteotomy plus a lateral release was thought to increase the risk of avascular necrosis in the past. Another potential complication is dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia, which is due to overload of the lesser metatarsal heads. There is a risk associated with shortening of the hallux metatarsal, like in a lapidus procedure or proximal crescenteric osteotomies. Hallux varus is caused by overcorrection of the first intermetatarsal angle, excessive lateral capsular release with overtightening of the medial capsule, over-resection of the medial first metatarsal head, and or lateral sesamoidectomy. A cock-up toe deformity is another potential complication, and this is due to injury of the FHL, and remember it's the most severe complication with the Keller resection. Second metatarsal transfer metatarsalgia is another potential complication that is often seen concomitant with hallux valgus. To treat this, you will do a shortening metatarsal osteotomy, aka a while osteotomy, which includes extensor tendon and capsular release. Finally, neuropraxia can be a potential complication, where painful incisional neuromas after bunion surgery frequently involve the medial branch of the dorsal cutaneous nerve, which is a terminal branch of the superficial perineal nerve. It is most commonly injured during the medial approach for capsular imbrication or metatarsal osteotomy. That's all for this review about hallux valgus. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far,